All right, now we're moving into city living. It's uh, page 110 of Just Enough, Lessons in Living Green from Traditional Japan um, by, As is it Asby Brown? Yeah, I lost my, my cover, so it doesn't have the author's name on it anymore. Um, so we started off, and it's like he starts wandering into the town, and he starts kind of getting into this whole thing of like... Um, how the town is laid out and who all lives where and where's the Edo castle. So it's, we're going into the town of Edo and um, um, all the different kinds of land use. There's mat. There's, there's some stuff about how to keep it a little bit cooler. Like what kind of streets, like, like paved, they're basically they're saying paved streets suck. Paved, paved streets are hot. They're too hot. But then if you use dirt roads, then they get wet when it rains, and then they kind of keep giving off moisture later, which which kind of makes everything a little bit cooler. I kind of imagine that... Now, of course, their weather system there is really different, too. They get a lot of moisture in the summer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably not as much of dust problems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that would be our thing. But they've also got, like, waterways through the town where you can kind of boat through parts of the town. Um, and, and we were talking before the podcast about, like, you know, didn't didn't really feel a lot of permaculture groove in this part. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, and I guess it's kind of like you need some foundation. It's kind of like this is, this is what it's like for these people to live here. Here's how they kind of, like, lined up their streets and lined up their houses, and they wanted to make sure everybody had a nice view, and where's the marketplace, and how do you get around? Um, permaculture at a huge macro scale the city planning civil engineering part of it that's beyond the scope of what we normally encounter in the permaculture world there is a lot of talk about how a lot of the food is moved from the country into the city so the, the city is kind of a resource consumer it's a big city it's the capital but it's 1.3 million people and then it starts kind of... It said it was the largest city in the world at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's intense. Uh-huh. Um, um, how did I miss that? Am I just phoning it in here? Am I... Wow. Okay. I saw the part about 1.3 million. I didn't realize it was the biggest in the world at the time. Um, they started showing some stuff about uh, how to keep the, the, most of the buildings cool. Um, and, uh, um, you know, a lot of it was just make sure that there's airflow and, <clears throat> and then do things to make it so that the air outside could be cooler, which is generally introducing trees. Um, and then they kind of started into this space of like, okay, so how do most people live? So most of the people, they've kind of got this uh, townhouse kind of apartment-y kind of thing going. And uh, and how does how does this all come together? How do they, you know how big are their spaces? How little? How do they you know how do they do this? And so they they basically have small apartments. It looks like um, they've got stuff. And it's like you want some water, then it's like there's there's a dozen units to share a well, and a dozen units also you know. Uh, share uh, um, you know, toilets um, and, and share compost bins and stuff like that. It, it looks like uh, um, security was a bit of an issue. They've got something where here's the gate to get in and it's got spikes across the top. So that way, you know, bad guys aren't going to be sneaking in over the top of your gate. Um, so it looks a little freaky. <laughs> um, 
so um, but then then it's sort of getting back into like um, um, how like the stuff that I thought was cool so um, uh, it got into where does their water come from like their drinking water um, and their water for everything and um, and that I thought there was a lot of good stuff in that that I marked up now up until this point on page 128 did you guys have anything you wanted to talk about not even in small spaces tight quarters gardens are important oh yeah nothing really more than what you just covered yeah um I, I kind of think of it as foundation for the rest. Like, you got to kind of get, get the lay of the land of what a city is like. And I think the rest of the book is going to talk more about, like, how the more affluent uh, lived. Um, but, but for now, um, when it comes to the water, uh, these aqueducts are low-gradient open canals passing through open farmland for most of their length. Closer to the city, the conduit is a large stone pipe. How do you make a pipe out of stone? You guys have I mean, it didn't say in here, did it? I, did I miss that? I didn't see anything about it. Okay. Now, um, ask the Romans when they did that business. So, yeah, build a pyramid. Yeah, I guess you... The top's open, sort of like a wall. Right. The viaduct part I understand. So canals and viaducts and rivers, and, and they're, they're just channeling in big gobs of um, fresh water. Um, that, that I, but then it's like when it, when it goes into a stone pipe, kind of having a hard time understanding, how does one make a stone pipe? Just the same thing, but with a... Lid on the top. Okay, so it'll be a canal. It would be like a square. So it's like they'd make a big arch over the canal, like dry stack or something like the dry stack rock. Okay, I can I could see that. I Maybe could see cement that. it together with some lime-based cement-type material. Yeah, they're, they're not. Doesn't seem to me like we're using anything resembling cement anywhere. No, they, so, didn't, they didn't cover didn't that. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So then it moves on to here, um, so a little further down. Here the flow is diverted into wooden underground pipes with over 30 main branches and countless sub-branches. Okay, so then, then I'm kind of getting like, okay, I, I mean, I, I started wondering a little bit about like, okay, in modern day, do we want wooden pipes at all? And, and I kind of wonder... Um, it's possible that there could be some types of wooden pipes that would be an improvement over the, you know, the kinds of things that we have now, copper or PEX or um, uh, galvanized stuff, you know, um, those, those things probably have certain toxins which do kind of end up in our, although I've, I've been told that um, by plumbers, you know, and I've seen it myself, like when you open something up, like you're going to do a little bit of your own little home plumbing, it's like you start opening something up and then you can look inside there. There's like layers of slime inside the pipe. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah, having any of that copper or galvanized shit touching your water, not really your primary concern. It's like, what the... Really that layer of scuzz. Yeah, scuzz. Scuzz. And so basically, does this mean all the water you're ever drinking is some kind of scuzz Kool-Aid? You know, it's like... Uh, you, you really, you don't want to look inside your pipes because it's a spooky thing in there. There are some real, real large bacterial 
things that can grow in those systems. You can find videos online of like what the hell is this thing in this pipe. And it's like they have veins, they pulse. It looks like something that came down from another planet living in there. And those big aqueduct systems in larger cities, it's, it's yucky. And and that's that's the water that the fresh water right. that's coming to you. That we're not even talking about the sewage treatment plant. <laughs> we're we're talking about just here's this is the yummy water, and you're gonna you're gonna drink it and go ah that was so refreshing. So um, it's your probiotics. So I I kind of wonder about certain kinds of wood might might have like an antifungal in it or something in it that that might actually be somehow superior i'm i'm i wish i i'm sure that there's no answer to this i'm just wondering maybe somebody somewhere knows and can you know point something out on permies for me but just say that they make round pipes by boring out the length of a tree Right, right. And they, now, and they also made square pipes. Now, I'm going to, I've marked off a section that's going right. to go into that. I'm going to read this little piece. Tell us but, all about it. But before, before I forget, I want to mention that uh, I don't know if it's still true now, but I remember that about 15 years ago in Missoula that a lot of the water that uh, Missoula used came from way up uh, Rattlesnake Creek, and it was wood, wood troughs, wood pipes. And they were still wood. And clay pipes as well. But but the important thing is is wood, and it had been like a, it was like a hundred years old, and so it's kind of like um, you know I I kind of wonder about how long wood lasts when you're using it as a pipe, and and I think it could last quite a long while. Um, occasionally, you come across salvaged wood that's been used in uh, tanks for brining things, making sauerkraut and whatnot. I think they use a lot of cedar and redwood, and it seems to hold up pretty well. I mean, it's like common wood commonly used as decks, deck boards, stuff well, that's very water resistant. On on ships, I remember I spent a week on the Lady Washington, and this is the tall ship that is in uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, and so, uh, but I remember that we would every day swab the decks with salt water. It was pumped right out of the ocean, and that the salt water had a very um, preserving effect on the wood. But it was just bare wood. It was like nothing on the wood. It was we just made sure to put salt water on it every day, and apparently that did awesome stuff for the wood. I, I don't understand it fully, but I thought, wow, that is pretty cool. But fresh water won't do that for you. It doesn't One have of the that. things to note about the Missoula water system is that they say up to 40% of the total is lost to leakage. <laughs> that might be in the in those wood pipes. I think it's, I've heard that it's mostly in clay pipes that are like the service that goes to people's individual houses. That that's actually the homeowner's responsibility to make sure that that's up to snuff. And most people are clueless about what it is. As long as they have water coming out the tap, they think it's working great when actually they're subterranean 
water everywhere around the base of their house, and they don't know it. Missoula's water system's totally screwed up. It's owned by Carlisle. We're the only city in Montana that doesn't own its municipal water system. You could go. We you could go on and on about Missoula's water. Yeah, yeah. We, um, I, I I think that an important thing to keep in mind about Missoula is that uh, we have two rivers that merge here in town, and it's kind of like I mean we've got a lot of water, and so pumping it up out of the ground here. I mean, how how deep is the Missoula well? Like. 15 feet deep, maybe. I don't know. It's like the the, the, the water table is like not that deep, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and I kind of you know you look at the amount of water that's coming down in the river, even in the the lowest flow, and it's kind of like that's still a lot of water. I think uh, I think we, we're probably really spoiled in the water department. Um, I, I was giving a presentation in San Diego a few months ago, and they were saying like you know a, a low water bill is like 200 bucks a month yeah yeah see so now it's like now here in Missoula like I don't know what is it 40 when I paid a flat rate it was 40 that was a couple years ago you pay 40 bucks a month and you get all the water you want yeah that wasn't metered I think it's it's less if it's metered yeah being this high up in the water chain the 40% leakage rate isn't so bad from a water use perspective. It's more of an energy use issue because up here, you know, the water just goes back into the aquifer and continues right towards the ocean, whereas someplace much closer to the ocean, once that water is lost, it's lost and no one else is going to get to use it. Right. So up here, it's an energy issue more than a water issue, but still something to be concerned about. Okay, going on with this thing. The quality of the water in both systems is very high, equal to, if not better, than that of their European counterparts. The main reason is that the water at the source is particularly clean. Japanese mountains, as we have seen, are very steep, and consequently, the rivers run fast and furious over stormy beds for nearly their entire length. Centuries earlier, the government recognized the link between erosion and the health of rivers and the policies implemented to protect the inland forests in earlier generations benefit Edo's current drinking supply as well. Relatively little organic matter enters the flow in the first place, and little is carried to the city. And though there are no filtration systems in place and no disinfection, the wells, and they got the word wells in quotes, from which the populace draw their water are actually large, deep, wooden settling tanks that allow sediment to collect at the bottom, well below the level at which water is drawn. The custom of boiling water for tea, thereby sterilizing it, also has clear health benefits. There are over 5,000 wells in Edo connected to this system, and the fresh water is available to all classes 24 hours a day, something no European city can boast at this time. Now, when they say wells, they've got kind of a diagram here showing it. 
And, and to say it, it's more like a, a collection of cisterns that are filled by the water that's brought into the town. And so then they kind of pull water out of their system the same way that they would pull water out of a well in the country. So it's not really a well. It's a, it's a, it's a massive collection of, of cisterns. The buried wooden pipes and tanks that make up the urban delivery system would seem to be an inferior technology with technical problems that could diminish water quality. But the system is, in fact, well constructed and quite secure. The techniques used in the construction of the pipes and tanks is so similar to shipbuilding methods that it is likely that shipwrights, with their centuries of accumulated experience in watertight construction, were called upon to help develop the hydraulic technology. The major underground conduits are thick planks fitted together with sturdy lengthwise tongue and groove joints, caulked with fine cedar bark shavings and attached with giant recessed iron spikes. Round wooden pipes, bored their entire length, are sometimes used, but square pipes are far more common. Minor connections are made with narrow round pipes made from bamboo. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like, this is this is really cool. Now I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious that like what kind of wood did they use? What kind of wood did they prefer? And then with the woods, like what did the sludgy goo on the inside look like after you know 20 years of use? Or was there any? Uh, one question that comes to my mind is uh, tree roots infiltrating the pipe system. You know, forcing the gaps open or whatnot, because that's a, yeah. that's a problem even in pipes still today, you know, there's places where iron pipes, the tree roots can actually like break through the iron pipe joints and to get, get that water. water. Yeah. Yeah. But they have enough water there that maybe the tree roots aren't that desperate. So, um, I, so a couple of other notes about this, uh, if they dried out, gaps and cracks would appear. So one is you got to keep water in it. And their system is designed such that it looks like, yeah, it's, it's like the whole system is floating in water the whole time. And floating in water isn't the right expression. Let's see, it's like they're, they're full. They, they have water in them the whole time, and it's a gravity-based system. Um, maintenance costs are low, and the damage from earthquakes, for example, and I imagine tree roots would be in there too, can be quickly located by examining the quality of the flow at each inspection point. Damaged pipes, which are only shallowly buried, can be easily exposed, repaired, or replaced. In addition, the system itself is a grid with built-in redundancy in most districts. The Edo water system has worked extremely well for almost 200 years. The surveyors and engineers who designed this system demonstrated a profound understanding of watersheds and the interaction of water flow and terrain. Their system uses no energy but gravity, and it takes advantage of minor, minor undulations and elevation changes within the city limits to affect efficient flow and distribution. The soundness of its initial planning will allow it to be used in future centuries with no change in layout, but with simple technical upgrades of pipes and sluices. Okay, so that's everything that I've marked off to read about the water stuff, which I thought was, was really huge. 
I, I, you know, and basically the thing is, like, okay, if you get roots in your system, it could happen. And it's like, all right, rip it out, replace it. Replace yep. that one little piece. And, and you know, it, it sounds like it's not that big of a deal to fix it. Mm-hmm. it it's a pretty simple system. I mean, looking at the, at the pictures that they have here, I mean, this is a remarkably simple system. Now, you know, when we're talking about, like, sludge in your pipes and in your plumbing and that the kind of scary that might come with that, then it kind of leads to that whole thing of, like, when we were previously reading from this book and we're talking about having a well and you'll put a bucket down into the well and you'll pull up a bucket of water. I mean, I think the well is going to be very clean. And I also think that the, um, that the bucket of water, you know, the bucket, you can keep the bucket really clean. So I, I kind of feel like your, your water quality is going to be much, much higher. Of course, you know, who knows? Maybe down there in between the rocks underground, it's kind of slimy and sludgy. Just the same kind of thing you find in the pipes. At the same time, you know, there's uh, biological elements that are beneficial to water quality, like the whole thing with the principle behind a biosand filter. Right. I, that you have a microbial ecosystem that's not harmful to humans, that eats the bad stuff. Right. Right. And, and it kind of leads into that space where we're kind of, uh, I, like, I like the phrase that somebody came up with somewhere, for bacteria sapiens. You know, like, like a, a, an enormous part of our living being is our symbiotic relationship with bacteria. So we've got symbiotes. I have a coworker that's gone to Africa a number of times, and they have developed a way of inoculating people against a bunch of really nasty stomach virus type stuff that actually is basically a little pill of a native's poop that you swallow and it inoculates <laughs> it inoculates your stomach bacteria with the good bacteria that they've had and built up over their lifetime of being there. No, it sounds funky, but it, apparently it works really well and it's even Paul's even face you, right now is a little bit terrifying. And apparently yeah. it, <laughs> it even works after you've initially gotten sick, say you've shown up fresh off the boat and get sick the first week there, they can treat you by giving you one of these little <laughs> poop pills. <laughs> Feeling sick, mate? Here, eat my poop. <laughs> uh, this is secondhand information, so, so let's it, all go verify it. So it's, it's possible that this person could have been pulling your leg. Let's I see if we get Abe to eat poop. I don't. I don't think so. Okay. They're pretty reputable. I've I've heard of people like um, digesting a tapeworm, right. and, and that the tapeworm would then protect you somehow. I, I, but it's like, yeah, it's another one where I'm not like really excited about the idea of finding out. Um, Wow, thanks, Abe, for bringing that to the table. Uh, that was interesting and different. I, I do think, though, that it's like there's going to be certain bacteria that are going to be working with you to, um, uh, I mean, when they're in this, well, to cover for you, to make things smooth for you. Well, being bacterio sapien, you're taking advantage of someone else's bacterial colony that they've spent a lifetime producing, you know. If you can take someone's intact immune system and transfer it to your own that's a plus right even if it comes in the form of like eating their poop yeah i'm not ready for that one yet 
I, apparently I've got some room to grow um, in the world of health, I guess. Um, and I'm grateful that uh, I'm not going to Africa. Uh, I'm grateful that I don't seem to need this pill at this time. Ah, a rare, a rare dose of humility from Paul Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome living in Montana. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of that thing about the guy living in Belize, and he's like, well, why don't you live in Belize instead of Montana? And he's like talking about, you know, having to strip naked and hold your arms up while other people pick all the parasites off of your body every day. And it's kind of like, oh, right, yeah, lots of parasites. There's another great reason to live in Montana. I, I've never had parasites in Montana. Have you guys ever had parasites? Ticks? Yeah, oh, a tick. I, I had a tick once. Yeah, that's true. I take it back. I have, but I think I got that tick over in Oregon. Fucking Oregon ticks. Rory? I don't, yeah, not what I can think of, no. No parasites. Parasite-free Montana. That, that should be our new slogan for the state. <laughs> Come to Montana where we don't have parasites. <laughs> Unlike Texas, those guys, Texas. All right. Speaking speaking of hygiene, um, the wastewater and hygiene section. Because human waste is not emptied into the water supply, there has been no need to develop a large-scale sewage system. There is, however, a wastewater system that collects rain runoff, overflow, and spillage from wells. And household wastewater from the kitchen and laundry use, for the most part, this system consists of a grid of shallow stone-lined covered channels, gutters really, that crisscross the city and eventually empty into either the Kanda or the Nihambashi rivers. So um, it sounds, so basically, yeah, these gutters that run here and there, but the gutters do not have anything too funky in them. In fact, in a, a little later on, I mean, I, I thought it was really fascinating how it's like there's all kinds of stuff that come out of the household that the people, like, collect and sell. Oh, yeah. So it's like um, uh, poop. Yeah, poop, huge business. Yeah. Lots of money made on poop. Uh, one point to make is that the way these systems work is very social. Like, they have... I think the next sentence from what you were just reading is that each neighborhood has someone assigned to patrol its section of gutter and unclog it where necessary. And also in the plumbing network that goes throughout the city, there's a seems like there's a fairly large workforce of maintenance guys that are monitoring all the test wells and all that all the time so that it takes people to make it work. Right. That's good. That's a good thing. Right. And we I mean, for the system we have now, we have people that make it work, too. So I'm just kind of thinking, like, um, in fact, the next part I got marked off is, um, the, in fact, most households produce relatively little wastewater. The water that is used for cooking rice, noodles, and vegetables, uh, and that might be dumped as waste in the West, is commonly drunk as broth. 
and so it seems like um, throughout this, yeah, it's, it's like um, you've got lots of water, but then if you're going to have water, you got to pull it out in buckets and use that. So it's kind of like, man, what a pain in the ass. But then in, on the flip side, though, it's like a lot of it, they just don't use as much as we use. I, I do like how they do a lot of comparisons, like here's how things were going in Europe at the same time. Mm-hmm. So like uh, it starts to move into this whole thing about bathing. Um, and fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now, oh, here we go. Because of this excellent infrastructure and the social habit of making frequent use of it, this would be the, the bathhouses, the standard of hygiene in Edo is higher than in Western countries, where most people bathe only once or twice a year. So they were talking about how the people in Edo, um, if they could afford it, they would bathe every day. And it was like this huge social thing. It's like where everybody goes to hang out. Um, but it's rare that they're rare to see the person that comes in only once or twice, or once a week, or once every two weeks to bathe. Most people yeah. bathe a couple it's times not, a week. It sounded like coming in once a week was very rare. Like hardly anybody would have come in only once a week. I mean, I wish we had bathhouses here. I, I think it would be a big hit, and that's an open market. If there was a bathhouse here, I would so go. Okay, have fun with that. I'm gonna, I like I like my situation the way it's going now. Although I can see, like, I mean, granted, the idea that I've got my own shower and all that um, is is lovely and nice and sweet. But it does kind of seem like it seems kind of ridiculous. The shower sitting around not doing anything, 99.9% of the day. So it's just sitting there, taking up space, not doing anything. Sometimes you, you can get snacks and refreshments, so that sounds nice. Well, I like snacks. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows in the picture of the bathhouse. Just there's one person being being cleaned by another person. I wonder if that's an extra fee. advertisements on the walls. It just looks like a wonderful social space. People smoking pipes. So um, it is. It is a different um, way of living, and um, I don't. I don't think I'm ready to go and uh, do a daily bath with a bunch of other people. Just, just not feeling it. Sorry, um, I, but I yeah, think it could be all right. I'm, I'm down. Yeah. So uh, uh, some folks be into it. Now, then it goes into a whole section about, and, I, and they say the high value of human waste. And it's like, you know, I, I like, um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Jenkins' book. I, I do think it's, it's um, um, a great move forward. But um, uh, one of the things he points out I think is really brilliant is that he says, let's stop calling it waste. You know, this is this is not waste. This is this is um, human output, and and it and it does have its uses. Now, I I do not like the way that they fool with it. They just fool with it way too much. I like the term they use in here of toilet contributions. And they say night soil. They use they use the word night soil a lot. Um, and uh, but but the thing is, is that I'm I'm going to be an advocate of something where um, you age it two years and then you're going to go stick it over under right. a, a cottonwood or poplar. Yeah, this says here after a month or so of he, of the heat of de- decomposition, which will dry the material and kill most pathogens, the fertilizer will be ready to use. It doesn't seem like long enough. Yeah, yeah. Now I marked off a chunk that says. Uh, oh, it's comparing it to Europe. Most European cities are dumping their night soil onto the street or into the water supply. It's like what? You got a well and you just 
dump it into it's the not, well. It's not even night soil yet, right? Yeah, it's, it's like, it's shite. Um, both of which contribute to high disease rates and render entire cities noxious to occupy. Edo has escaped this fate by once again making a virtue of necessity. So basically they're saying like the farmers would have a deal with a bunch of households. Like we're going to come in here every few months with a great big um, uh, wagon that's, you know, hand-powered wagon. And, uh, you know, we're going to go and stick these big spoon-like things down um, into uh, the pit and and bring out the chunky bits and uh, put it into our buckets and we're going to haul it off. And we're going to pay you once a year for you to let us do this. And this is even in, in hard-to-get-to places. Right? Like they have a picture of a, of a barge going into harder to reach places to pick up. Right. So they've because got, it's, so, it's so valued. Right. They've, and imagine if that boat sunk. <laughs> what a disaster that would be. Um, one humorous section here. Farmers expect to pay more for the feces of samurai than for commoners and must pay a lot more to empty daimo toilets. They have a richer diet, after all. But the most valuable of all are the toilets of the actors and courtesans, because theirs is a life of non-stop feasting. Mm, non-stop feasting. Um, I had huckleberry pie for breakfast. <laughs> granola. That's just a high price. (laughs) So, um, I, uh, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting thing. And I do think that, that today, that if, if one were to be in this business, there are different qualities, but I, I don't think that, um, I, I kind of want to encourage them to do polyculture and plant lots of legumes instead of fiddling with somebody's poop. Although, um, I guess fortunately this worked out for their system. Yeah. So then it starts getting into this whole concept of the recycled city. And um, it just kind of goes on and on and on about, like, they start talking about little household things and the 87 different ways that they can be mended and that they are mended. And, um, and that basically it's like a societal thing to be efficient. Um, you don't throw things away. And, and then it's like a lot of times when this thing is finally worn out and it can't be recycled, reused, or done anymore with, it turns out that it is perfect to be fuel for the fire. It's like you could use it for cooking. It's just fuel fuel for cooking. Mm-hmm. It's um, Or if it's not that, I mean, everything seems to have like a, a final destination spot where it can be used for something else. And um, so all sorts of things just get reused over and over and over again. I didn't actually highlight a lot in this section because it seems rather like a of course, you know, of course you reuse all these things, but, you know, I've got to take that outlook for granted, I guess, working at a place where our mission is to reuse oh, many right. things as can as we can. So for me, it, this is your day job. This wasn't all that remarkable, but I was thinking as I was finishing reading it that someone other than myself might have underlined a lot of stuff thinking, oh, yeah, that's that's so cool that they reuse all these steps of the way so well I was kind of thinking about it and then I was like you know what I'll end up just underlining all of it 
I mean, because it's like they, they just go through lists upon lists. And it's not even lists. It's, it's more like descriptions. And it's like they, they take all kinds of things, and they talk about how it's mended like 14 times. And then finally, it's like, you know what? This, one's take, this is getting mended too often. So now it's time for it to go on to the next phase of its life, which is to be this whole other thing. And then it, it, and it, it, uh, it goes through a few generations of being this other thing. And then finally, it's going to end up being fuel for cooking. It seems like they're really, really uh, specialized in some of their trades. It lists the abacus repairman, tobacco pipe refurbishers, and candle wax recyclers, among many others. So it's like umbrella and lantern repaperer, crockery repairman, shoe repairman. So yeah, there's all these little industries that people have to, to perpetually mend these things, and it sounds like they, they just wander the neighborhoods and they get these different neighborhoods like once a week or so, and you just kind of like, oh, this thing this thing needs repairing, so I'm going to set it aside. The so-and-so repairman will be by in a week, and we'll give it to them, and they'll, they'll make it right as rain, and everything will be great, and we'll get on with our lives. Um, and and, and one, the one thing I did note is that um, everybody has containers um, uh, to hold ash and that the ash is also sold as fertilizers for fields. So, um, you know, there's all these things that are of great value, you know, and it's like you just end up living this very efficient life. And they also mentioned, like, there, there is garbage. There's actual garbage that gets taken to an actual dump, and it's like, but apparently it just takes forever to fill up a garbage can. And then the garbage is typically things like pieces of plaster that you're not going to use anymore, or, um, I mean, like, iron is of great value. You don't you don't send that to the dump. Um, and, and I don't know, it was like chunks of rocks or something, or, I don't know, plaster seemed to be the one thing I can remember. Floor sweepings, unsuccessfully burned chunks of something brown. <laughs> it just seems like there wasn't much to put into the garbage. All right, that's all I got for this section. What do you, you guys got? Anything else? That's it. That's all. That seems pretty uh, closed loop society. I, I thought that the level of the level of reuse and recycling was probably about 40 times higher than what we currently experience. I just heard, however, uh, Google News yesterday, San Francisco just passed a city planning thing to become a zero waste city by 2020. That's not that far away. And San Francisco is a pretty big city. There's a lot of toxic gick in it. Yeah. Good challenge. Good that challenge. is a hell of a challenge, yeah. All right. All right. On that note, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about reuse, which is better than recycling, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Oh, no.